The Everything Else is powered by Ink and Abstracta. Hello, hello. Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to the Everything Else podcast once again. I'm Mer. And I'm Vera. And we have a great episode lined up for you. Today we'll be discussing one of the skills that has been deemed as one of the most important skills for the 21st century, no matter what industry you're in, right? No matter what you do. No. So, dear listeners, put on your thinking caps because today we'll be talking about critical thinking. Critical thinking, which, by the way, is very different from criticizing, so don't get them mixed up. I love the clarification. I know a couple of people that needed to hear that. (laughs) Same here. So, this episode we'll be discussing what critical thinking is, how to avoid biases and when to introduce critical thinking more, and why it's relevant to talk about this. Of course, we'll give you some hacks on how to be more critically minded and foster that in those around you without losing your mind. Mm, I'm loving your clarifications today. How to think critically and not lose it trying. All right, looks like we're set to start then, right? I'm excited about this topic again. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you are. Not just because it's a hot topic right now, but I've always been fascinated by the topic of thinking and thinking about thinking, right? I, I get lost there a little bit. So shall we start by a definition? Yeah, let's do that. Now, last episode, we resorted to Wikipedia to define something as complex and its emotions. Okay. So let's see if this time it does the trick too. Wikipedia is always a solid starting point. Starting point, you said. So Wikipedia's definition says, critical thinking is essentially a questioning, challenging approach to knowledge and perceived wisdom. Hmm. I can see how somebody could hear that and think, no, no, that's just the definition of being a pain in the ass. <laughs> you know, it could be. That. Could be. <laughs> that person that always goes, well, actually. <laughs> well, <laughs> at times, let's say that it can definitely be perceived like that. But the reason why there is such a big fuss around this topic of critical thinking is because this skill core skill, not soft and easy, is the way to help us decide what to do and what to believe. Mm-hmm. The way. Are you saying there's only one way? Uh, well, there you have critical thinking at work. <laughs> the pain in the ass <laughs> thing. <laughs> so you're actually right, though. Thanks for pointing it out, actually. There is not one way, but this skill allows us to question and reach out our own conclusions. Mm-hmm. In other words, really thinking, right? Well, that was easy. (laughs) That's it, guys. This episode is a wrap. (laughs) Shortest episode of the everything else ever. (laughs) So let's go back and let's not take things so fast. You could take different authors and they we could double click here and take different authors. They could give many definitions and it can mean slightly different things or we could focus on different aspects across different disciplines. Mm -hmm. I'm saying different like a zillion times. Yeah. But basically, Critical thinking in all areas involves thinking logically, rationally, and without fallacies, unbiasedly. Yeah, this implies questioning assumptions, analyzing objectively, letting go of judgments, again, and reaching rational conclusions. Yeah, very nice in theory. Mm -hmm. But, be honest, how many times do you actually do that? 
it's easier said than done, right? Yeah. I have to admit, though, that listening to the, to those definitions, it sounds a little bit robotic, don't they? Look at the words that you use. Logical, rational, objective, fallacies, right? It's stark contrast to the last episode where we're all about emotions and it's like we're changing radically today, right? What's like, happening to us? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who are we? Now, these are not opposites, emotions and all this, this robotic thing you were talking about. Let's see how they come together and complement each other, shall we? Now, we are always talking about how these lenses through which we see life, right? These yeah. worldviews. Well, critical thinking would be like being super aware of these lenses and taking them off and putting them aside for a while to seeing what's out there, even if it means that your lenses might not fit so well once you put them back. Mm. Even, Even if, if it means, I like that. Even if it means that your lenses might not fit so well when you put them back. <laughs> That's also easier said than done, right? Definitely. I think it's one of the hardest parts, though, to take because those lenses, they're usually stuck to our heads. It's so embedded. We've grown attached to them. Right? Exactly. And that is exactly why I think this topic has gained so much traction lately. Mm -hmm. Because in this rushed life, it kind of got lost the practice of reflection, as we mentioned several times. Mm. So I know that you're the one who brings the Greeks up. But, you know, when we said we were thinking Are you about taking the Greeks away from me? I, I think so, because you didn't mention them. I don't know. I, when, it, when we said we were going to do critical thinking, I sort of prepped myself to listen, you know, to hear you say a million times, so this Greek. But we could say that an early example of critical thinking could be Socrates' teachings, right? Recorded by Plato. The idea that a life worth living is one where we critically question, profoundly question any ideas that are put forth before we believe them. What have I done to you? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very interesting way of putting it, definitely. The main objective for Socrates was to find, if possible, the true nature of things beyond my assumptions or what I see at first glance. That is what he referred to as, well, he didn't refer to it, but it was referred to as Socratic questioning. And yes, we could say that these are the foundations of critical thinking strategies, not to mention such a vital tool for teachers, therapists, or for mentors and leaders in any area. Mm -hmm. Yep. But before we move on, um, even though I mentioned the Greeks, I would like to bring forth somebody that I admire a lot. His name is Daniel Kahneman. I think you've probably, <laughs> maybe you've heard of him before. He's the author of Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Of course, a psychologist Nobel Prize winner. Wow. Well, if you haven't heard of him, I suggest you look him up. There are videos, books, interviews, and he's an overall fascinating man. And he's out there a lot now. Yeah, because he's got a new book mm -hmm. coming up. Yeah. and. I think that he's great, particularly because he's managed to explain very complex ideas so simply, right? It's, it's, you, you can take the book and you can understand it, you read it quickly. I'm going to refer to him because in this book, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, he illustrates the function and functioning of our thinking systems in such a graphical, easy way that every time I think of critical thinking, I can't help thinking of this. Okay, so let's double click here. He talks about our brains as having two systems, mm -hmm. system one and system two. System one thinks fast, it's emotion-led, intuitive, and system two is slow, thoughtful, critical, analytical. 
and we all have both. Good. No matter if you think of yourself as more of an extrovert or introvert, if you feel you are more emotional or analytical, we all have both because this is how our brain works. We don't realize that this switch from one to the other happens when we think, but these two systems operate we alternate. Mm -hmm. So um, each of them allows us to do different things, right? Yeah. System two requires more energy because it's more work. So it's basically resting on standby and only comes into action when called on. And system one, on the other hand, is always on. It's like our autopilot, our default system. Okay. So let's break this into an example to see how it works. Are you ready, Veda? Yeah. All right. And you listening to do this exercise with me. All right. Veda, okay. what's your name? Veda. What's one plus one? <laughs> Two. Two plus one? Three. 245 divided by seven? <laughs> That is system two being called on. <laughs> you could do it. It would take you a minute. Or more. Yeah, but you can almost feel something in your brain coming out of hibernation, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you could actually hear my system to turning on. <laughs> and that is how critical thinking feels. And even though we feel like we live life in system two mode, system two is actually quite lazy and is usually content to believe whatever system one proposes, right? Yeah, much of what is done is through these shortcuts, what is technically known as bias. So that means biases that we might have mentioned are inevitable. Good. Like emotions, part of life, part of how our psyche works, take it. We can manage them in a healthier way, but you just need to accept them. Yeah. So in previous episodes, we've spoken about our storytelling abilities and our story believing abilities. The Harari reference of every episode. <laughs> So system one does that, right? Its main job is to make up a coherent story. It pieces the information that you have and fills in the blanks. And it makes up a coherent story that we think is true. And it builds up a support network that leaves out other possibilities and they might be the correct ones. Yeah, when we talk about this, I always remember an author I learned about in, in university, which blew my mind at the time, and it's Brunner. And the importance he poses on our narrative Like our brain doesn't tolerate these gaps and fills it in. We need, it's a need our brain has whenever there is a gap. And we do this with whatever is at hand. If it makes sense, great. And if it doesn't, well, it doesn't anyway. <laughs> This is the, the concept that we were talking about, how we all live in our own little movies. Exactly. Right? Without realizing. So this happens to all of us to some extent. It's been studied. That's what psychologists, researchers and behavioral economics do. And that's the way they work, right? The thing is that we have to be aware of this, mm -hmm. right? Understanding how this works is very important. So we don't take these things as absolute truths. It kind of wakes us up when we are being too manipulated. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about biases then in, in this being aware of our thinking limitations. What are biases? Let's talk cognitive biases first, right? Okay, just a reminder to our listeners, a cognitive bias is a systematic error in thinking that happens when we process and interpret the information in the world around us. Yeah, like shortcuts that our brain has in the attempt to simplify what it's processing. Exactly. We've mentioned some of them in our gender and gender equality, like when they are at work. But there are so many more. Let's see some. All right. Confirmation bias. Okay, so here we go with the list of biases. <laughs> she, she's rolling her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because 
when I read this list, it feels to me at a time at a point that they they are all like the same, right? I mean, I think it was a great eye opener reading about them one by one. I remember the first time that I learned about biases um, in in a more explicit way, right? Um, Dan O'Reilly, he has um, awesome TED talks, and he's a behavioral economist. And the first time that I heard him. I w it blew my mind. I was like, "What? Like that happens? That's how we think? Like that?" And I think it's it's a good eye opener seeing how many or how each of these specific mechanisms uh, works, right? Yeah. Now, to me, honestly, at times it feels like such a formula, like so explicit, so high context. But I can't deny that what you're saying is also true. That putting a name to them, defining them, and being aware through this process makes them very, very real. Like. We, we bring them down to earth. And it's like the same process of becoming more literate that we talked about with emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So knowing about them is important. And let's go with the list, shall we? All right. Confirmation bias then. <laughs> Now that we've put all the disclaimers yeah. aside. It's the tendency to seek out information that supports something that you already believe, right? This is high, hugely fueled by social media and algorithms, the famous eco chamber that we often hear about, that I only see information that I agree with. I look for information that I agree with, and then it's fueled by the algorithm. So let me just recap. So this is something that our brain works like that, but now technology is making it much worse. Yes. And this also means that expectations affect my perception. Again, with this narrative, you know, how we make up the story that, that we want to believe. Um, this, this happens, this has probably happened to you, right? Like when there's a special event, particularly particularly in politics, I find that in politics it's you're really going clear. going to Twitter, yeah. it's particularly in politics. I love going to Twitter to see what people are saying about it. And even though everyone saw the same thing, there are two very distinct visions about it. And each side, let's say, sees only what they want to see or what serves their ideas better, right? They focus on the things that fuel their own opinions. So... I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, okay, some some of you out there might feel, okay, but this only happens to you if you go on Twitter. But we need to realize that Twitter also is taken by the media, more traditional media. So mm. it also becomes part of the news. Yes. Right? Now, when we are stuck on an idea, if we believe in the conclusion or we want to believe a conclusion, which happens very often, then we often end up believing in arguments that lead us wherever they are, even if they are not valid. Mm -hmm. Like, this could be very obvious for others seeing it from a distance. Like, but when you're immersed there, it can be pretty hard to see it, doesn't it? Like, yes. Yes. How did I believe that? Well, I really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Another cognitive bias on the list is in group bias, people are more likely to support someone from within their own group, like very visible in Twitter too, and in politics, as you mentioned before. Yeah, defending the indefendable, right? Yeah. So your buddy Kahneman talks a lot about this, like logical coherence versus associative and emotional coherence. This is very relevant in today's world and many of the biases as you can see go in this direction it is now you mentioned associative thinking and emotional coherence the idea that because i like this guy then i think that what he's saying is true and because i strongly dislike this other guy then i don't think his idea is valid right this is a huge bias in science communication also and in critical thinking in general 
and it talks and shows the influence of our emotions yeah. and what we think are yeah. rational thoughts like i remember once this is not only apply for twitter or for politics i remember clearly once in therapy i was talking about a controversial issue right and talking about how this is something my partner and i thought my psychotherapist looks at me and asks have you asked him <laughs> Um, no. no. <laughs> so how do you know he thinks the same way as you? Because um, I like him. <laughs> good point, because we're the same. Yeah. Uh, and well, uh, there you have it. It's like this system helps us pretend that the other one is not so different from you. Yeah, the emotional coherence is nothing but a solution to a problem, right? It's like there's a bug in your code, ah, you know? tester in you. There's a tester in everyone. <laughs> there's a tester in you. Like, and it doesn't make sense that I hate this guy but he's right it's uncomfortable right like and so your mind fixes it there you go you are uncomfortable with him being right so ta-da he's not right I fixed it for you <laughs> all right another one availability bias this is the tendency to use information that we can quickly remember or that is most vivid when evaluating a topic or idea even if this information is not the best representation of the topic or idea this is system one at its best Right? I, I can't help connecting this to expression in marketing to be top of mind. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> like the news thing is what pops to our mind first. Mm -hmm. And like in Inside Out, like they they took out all the other memories, right? <laughs> so, well, the other memories become dusty or even fade out. <laughs> so that's why we are constantly being bombarded also, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And this is the idea here is like if, if there's a plane crash, nobody wants to get on a plane immediately, even though statistically it's safer than getting in a car, right? Like you make an assessment of probability of an event, not based on how often these events occur, but how often or how vividly they come into mind. Yes. In project management, for example, in your last, if your last project, the paperwork came through really quickly. So for the, your next project, you don't assign a lot of time to paperwork because you say last time it was really quick. Yeah. So basically base your decisions on the last vivid experience you had with that issue. Yeah. I feel like this is something that once we become aware, it's very easily to, it's very easy to change. Don't you think? I don't know. I think. I think it's easy to change if you're thinking about that. No, I, I, you have to be constantly thinking about your thinking in reminding. order to yeah, reminding yourself like, oh shit, did I just did I just think that? Is this right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. An example of what we are talking, right? Yeah. Now let's go for another one: anchoring bias, okay. which is being heavily influenced by the first piece of information you get, like first things first, and then basing any other information on this first bit of information. So if you see, let's say, a pair of shoes that cost $1,000, Dollars, mm -hmm. let's say pesos, because if not, no, no, and then you see another pair that costs 400, you'll think the 400 ones are not that expensive or even cheap. Yeah, because you're basing your conclusion on the fact that there are shoes that could cost 1000, which for me it's mind blowing, <laughs> but it exists. Mm -hmm. We it all exists. know you can buy a pair, a, a decent pair of shoes for 50 bucks, right? The thing here, the, the 
the anchor, it, it, I mean, I think it's very, um, it's very graphical with the word that they're using, right? Like you're, you're throwing an anchor on a piece of information and then the rest of your thought is sort of, is anchored to that piece of information. And this is used a lot to influence answers, for mm -hmm. example, right? Like if I give you, um, if I ask you a question and I give you a range, no, I, I, how many people live in this city? And I give you a range. It's very different if I say uh, between 100 and 200, or if I say, right, between 150 and 1,000. If I say 150,000, then you're probably going to think of a really high number. And if not, it really, really influences the first answer that, that we give without us realizing. I know I'm very critical of this list of, of biases, but when we go so much into are. depth, <laughs> here I am listening to it. No, but when, when we go so much in depth, I feel how important it is to understand that there are many people out there who know this in depth. Exactly. And are exactly. using all this understanding of how our mind works also to manipulate us. Exactly. And, and I think you just, um, you just really hit it. Um, I think that that's the main objective here. It's not just thinking critically to, you know, appear more intelligent or to be have freer. better idea. Exactly. It's to be free from manipulation because it's, exa it's exactly the point. All right, then we have other ones. Belief bias, for example. Um, it's an effect where someone's evaluation of the logical strength of an argument is biased by the believability of the conclusion, right? So if there is a chain of argument, the idea is that every link in the chain must work, not just the majority, right? Or not just the conclusion. And with belief bias, we sort of skip all the rest of the steps, just look at the end. <laughs> uh, th this is very familiar to me with all these findings, all these papers on how eating chocolate and being happy works. Because <laughs> 170% of the people who ate chocolate that week they seem happy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's the root of happiness. Yeah. There you have it. So, yeah, you believe, I mean, you want to believe the conclusion, right? And in science, uh, many times, I think that we don't even have the knowledge, like in, in that study you mentioned, right? Like, do I really have the knowledge to assess whether that conclusion is valid, whether all the steps are valid? Um, to know if every link of the chain... Well, with coronavirus, that yeah. happens so much. And we should be aware of that too, right? I, I got an invitation to a webinar on the effect of protein vaccines on fertility in my spam today. <laughs> as you do, <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> and I thought, as I read it, because I had my critical thinking lenses on, how could I assess, like if I, if I decided to go, how could I assess if what they were saying is true I mean, to be sure, I would have to read all the papers that they referenced in the webinar, right? I'd actually have to get my hands on them so I know that they were for real. And before I read them, I would just quickly have to get a degree in biology <laughs> and a master's in message uh, mRNA and I could, so that I could understand what the hell they're talking about and reach a valid conclusion, right? Because I, I feel really swayed with coronavirus. You listen to one and you're like, oh, that sounds, that, that sounds true. Then you listen to another one, that sounds true. This is the belief bias, right? Exactly. And at a point, I, I, this reminds me of how with psychology, many times people tell me, I don't believe in psychology. Well, it's kind of like we're believing in anything. It, it's not <laughs> just in psychology. To do these things, we believe. 
at a point you believe in what whoever it is that it's telling you these things hmm. yeah it's it's like to actually reach a valid conclusion without doubt it's it's always a leap of faith yeah. at the end of the day at the end of the day hmm. so another one conformity bias thinking something is true because a lot of people think of it or say it is or because it's been said enough times. Right. Goebbels had this one down, right? Repeat something long enough and it becomes true. Oh, the origin of that phrase gives me the creeps. It's very <laughs> uncomfortable for me that he's right, but I can't help agreeing with it. So, another one. Oh, Jesus, there are so many. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a time this week when I've been guilty of each of them, right? <laughs> I know, I know, but it's not about being guilty. Now, this one more. They are all similar, but they are not exactly the same. Let's see. Irrational escalation or sunken cost. Oh, I like this My tendency to believe that if I have invested a lot of time or something, energy, in going Money, one direction... Right. I need to go on, even if it's proving wrong. And this is very obvious when we're talking about money, right? Yeah, but it's valid in ideas too, if you think about it. It's the idea that I have spent a lot of energy and time defending a point of view, for example. Then even if I find information that disproves it, I can't change now. Not after everything that I've said and done, right? Exactly. I have to keep going. You lose face. Yes. And, yes. and this one is so dangerous because I've heard so many people who are end up in a place or a situation they are suffering they don't want to be there but it's they are seem so reluctant to make changes just because they feel that after all that energy all the time or all that money they've invested in it they just can't mm. and like susan david says there is a time to grit and there's a time to quit <laughs> that was good All right, uh, another one, status quo bias, right? Oh, we, and, we talked about this one, I remember. Yes, and this one seems very evident, but it, it's very true, and we have to keep that in mind, and it's more true for, for others, right? The status quo bias refers to the preference to keep things in their current state, right? If it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> that one. Okay. So the biggest issue that underlines these all all these biases, and probably we haven't covered all the list, right? It's being aware that you don't know. Ah, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Is it a bias also? I feel like the this Dunning-Kruger is, yeah. effect. Look it up. There are lots of graphs about this. this I, is I feel like this is the foundation of thinking critically, right? People with little or limited knowledge on a topic overestimate their own knowledge, right? So it's a curve in which the less you know, the more you think you know. Then as you study more, you realize that you don't really know anything. Some people call this the valley of despair, <laughs> like, oh my God, I know nothing. And then as you learn more, you become more confident in your knowledge, but aware of your limitations, right? This is the, the main difference. I, I can't help but think about, um, there's an age, I don't know if it's five or six, when you know, kids are so obnoxious that they're they <laughs> the know-it-all yeah they think they know everything then it, it like my son is eight now and he's he's out of that phase like he, my kid is in, the in phase. that phase yeah. <laughs> what, what age is it six he's five, five turning six, six. Um, there's a pretty funny meme circulating in reference to this uh, with brad pitt and fight club first rule of this effect club is that you don't know that you're in the club like right? the fight club right <laughs> Now, it's funny that you mentioned the kids thing, because there is lots of maturity involved in understanding that what you know is limited. Yeah. But at the same time that what you know can be useful 
still, even if you don't know it all. Yeah, yeah. It, there, there's no need to be in that valley of despair. Yeah. Right? When, when you reach that stage, it looks like a lot like being in the zone. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I believe that that happens a lot with experience. Mm -hmm. Something to look forward to our maturity now that everybody wants to be young. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've, I've been waiting silently, but I'm, I'm a little worried that you're not quoting Greeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got you now. <laughs> I mean, you said, you just said, right, understanding what you know is limited. And you didn't mention Socrates and the <laughs> I only know that I know nothing thing. Are you sure you're okay? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's something odd with me today. <laughs> Um, so we spoke about emotions in our previous episode, and even though this used to be denied, like uh, critical thinking, you know, was very dissociated from emotions, right? Uh, more and more research points to the fact that emotions play a great role in these biases, which then affect our critical thinking. In a lot of the biases, fear comes into play really hard. Fear of being wrong, fear of not being able to belong, fear of losing my identity if it's something that I've based a lot on, fear of the unknown. Fear of rejection. Mm. Fear. Fear. Hello, fear. We meet again. <laughs> <laughs> But as we know, emotions are emotions and they are part of life. Whether we like them or not, we have to accept them. We have to say fear. Hello, we meet again. <laughs> and they are involved even in critical thinking because it's not just rational. No. So fear, shame or frustration are not good predictors of critical thinking. No, Cur they interfere a lot yeah. with it. Now, curiosity, on the other hand, it feels more like the ideal setup, right? Yeah. Now, sometimes we are not that connected to the optimal amount of curiosity and it can look a bit like more like anxiety or confusion, mm -hmm. like being puzzled. And it's not something we love to feel, right? It's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But remember, emotions are emotions. And in this process, if we process this in a healthy way, let's say, in the right amount of intensity, being puzzled or anxious can also be like a good predictor of critical thinking because it will move you to towards curiosity, towards questioning, asking questions. Hmm. So... Being puzzled can also seem, or can also be the the laying ground for being fired up. Hmm. Now, this this reminds me of not every time you cry, it's because you're sad. Not every time you're feeling anxious is because you're feeling angst, right? Mm. Sometimes because the same physical reactions come down from different emotions, mm. right? Yeah, and if we have broader vocabulary to express emotions, we can benefit you know, to get closer to the, the real deal of what we're feeling. Exactly. Now, I I'm, I'm full of anecdotes today. Sorry, but lost the Greeks. <laughs> lost the Greeks. Today, I'm all about anecdotes. Anecdotes. I remember a teacher of mine in a landscaping workshop I was doing. Landscaping. <laughs> I love your weird hobby. All right. Yeah, I know. So in this workshop, it felt like so out of my comfort zone. You know, at times I actually had a rough time. Like I was feeling choked up. It was funny because I went because I wanted to, but I felt choked up of how uncomfortable it was for me to tolerate this creative process, like making models like architects, right? I, it really was terrible. And talking to her, she told me, if you don't feel this way, you're not doing it right. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, creating something, doing something original, 
feels like a lot, like taking chances. Yeah, some of that happens in all things in life, right? Well, now that you say it, many of the important things in life feel very uncomfortable at first, like <laughs> love, taking chances, friendship, new opportunities. Yeah, that's a good point. So tolerating frustration is important uh, in, in this case because it's so important, right? <laughs> tolerating frustration is one of the things many, especially young people, are having more of a hard time with mm. lately. Mm. So let's recap. We've seen that critical thinking is and identified some many okay many of the biases we are victims of. Now, why is this so important to identify? Well, because we need to be on the lookout. Uh, autopilot is necessary and it's fine. It's how we function, but there are times when we have to think again. Like Adam Grant, like saying, <laughs> you know, I love Adam, but I, I, he can't coin that expression. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We, we could also quote our friend Mark Twain. Ah, okay. I was, okay. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. <laughs> what gets us into trouble is not what we don't know, it's what we know for sure that just ain't so. We need that to get a t-shirt with that phrase. Yes. And system one interferes even when we know. Um, kind of an, uh, I, I, I heard an interview and he spoke about an, um, an experiment they did. It was much more complex, but the, <laughs> I'm going to put it in simple terms. They, they got people to fill uh, glasses with water. Right? They went, they filled the glass with water and then they gave them a sticker and they put on the on the glass they stuck a sticker and they wrote cyanide right poison and then they asked them to drink the water and there was a huge number of people that didn't want to and they knew they had filled the glass themselves with water but because but what it, if what if it's system right? one was like no 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 <laughs> and So even if you know that there's water inside the glass, right? System one is operating. It's I remember there. a much simpler ex exercise in the English classroom huh. that you had the name of a color written, but the yeah. the letters looked in a different color yeah. and how our brain was having a hard time having decoding hard time. which one to read. Yeah, system one and two in conflict. <laughs> There was war inside. <laughs> <laughs> so critical thinking is our biggest ally for the times that we're living. Mm -hmm. Have always been, but let's let's focus on the here and now. Now let's talk critical thinking in relation to media literacy. Mm. Since we spoke a lot about Twitter earlier, yeah. in this era of post-truth, post I don't know if you've heard this, but we are in the era of post-truth. I've heard people say that truth doesn't matter anymore, that truth is at risk. Is this really new though? Is, is disinformation new? Like I, I feel obviously we have more stimuli, right? Yeah. Much more than Socrates. <laughs> <laughs> But I think we've always lived in, in post-truth. It's just, it's more challenging now because there's so much information available. Um, Carl Sagan in his publication on science and spirituality had a whole chapter called The Fine Art of Baloney Detection and it was 1995, right? Yeah, but now many options are presented at serious stuff Yeah, because of even the graphic way that it's presented and it's not so obvious uh, to identify many of these things as baloney. So it requires extreme investigation, this literacy that you're talking about, right? 
and also to fact check, source check, knowing which sources to believe in the end. And even then, we don't know. And this becomes a very necessary skill to be taught to our kids, but also a big challenge for the elder generations because some of the things that used to be interpreted for them as signs of believable, now they might not apply anymore. Like my mom has a very serious case of this with her bank accounts. Like she, she realizes that she doesn't know how to read the website to understand whether it's true or it's a scam. Mm. And, and she's aware of this and she feels at risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, the whole QAnon movement is mostly middle-aged people. Yeah. Whatever that means. Well, <laughs> not us. <laughs> I don't know if we're in that age group. It's getting very tough to distinguish fact from fake, also because of this manipulation that you talked about before. I, I can't help thinking about conspiracy theories uh, here. Mm-hmm. Can I take a moment to dive into this rabbit hole? Go ahead. She's squirming. <laughs> Critical thinking is often associated with debunking conspiracy theories, right? And they get really bad press. Don't worry, I can see okay. you moving uncomfortably. <laughs> She's so uncomfortable. Don't worry. Hear me out. There are some conspiracy theories that have been proved wrong, right? With scientific evidence, right? Flat Earth. There is scientifically no way. But many other conspiracy theories have been laughed at and then proven to be right, right? Some conspiracy theories of yesterday are proven facts of today. When people talked about mass surveillance of NSA through the American government, people rolled their eyes at the conspiracy. Oh, you're so paranoid. Until Edward Snowden came forth and showed evidence that it was true to an extent that we never imagined. So what I'm saying is critical thinking has to be used in this regard to not just to debunk, but also to be able to question the status quo, even when the claim, not the evidence, but the claim uh, are dismissed as crazy. What you're saying is very true and comfortable as I might have been. (laughs) But many times... I wasn't going to talk about my favorite (laughs) conspiracy theories. But many times... Let's face that conspiracy theories are a fancy way, or not so fancy way, of sharing your paranoid fears, okay? Mm. Sometimes. Mm. But it's healthy to hold various theories, right? In varying degrees of probability. You know, like leaving a door open for other possibilities that you might not have considered and that could hypothetically be true. Spinning more than one hypothesis. Now I'm more on the same page with you. Because... Although we all need some degree of certainty and some people need this more than others, I think there is something very important there that you're saying. We can entertain the idea of different possibilities with varying degrees of probability. You don't have to make up your mind about absolutely everything with such definite answers. Yes, yes. I can sit on the fence, right? Anyone who knows me is probably rolling their eyes right now because I've been accused of sitting on the fence too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. is your state, your opinion? Well, <laughs> the typical answer of a psychologist is, well, it depends. Mm. I, I've also been accused, yeah. no wonder, I've also <laughs> been accused of doing this too much, right? But we, we really don't have to, at least to me, it feels like we're doing it way too much, This, mm. especially because, because, because of these... Um, media these we we can all state our opinions with the click of our 
just a click away, right? Yeah, it feels like an imperative. Like you're going to explode if you don't state your opinion or pick a side. It's so exhausting reading <laughs> about all these opinions. Yes. <laughs> the Nothing will happen, right? We we don't have to have a conclusion. True critical thinking never ends. There is no conclusion because actually knowing is knowing without doubt. It's what we said today. Knowing there we don't know that many things without doubt. Yeah, there is not much I can say I know without doubt. It's a you? leap of faith. No, no, yeah. no. Now, doubt tends to have a bad press at times. And like all feelings, when it ends up in you never choosing because you keep doubting, well, yes, it does bit, It does sound a bit neurotic, too, neuro, too neurotic, and it can stop you from actually taking action. But you need to choose consciously the best possible option accepting the limits of our options at that moment and in spite of our doubts. What happens when we question too much? Yeah, at a point you need to move past that and say, okay, I'll never know because you'll never know and accept that at a point. That's why courage is so important. Mm. To leave, you need to do that leap of faith and that requires lots of courage. You know, um, People talk about resilience, I was thinking, now that you said it. People talk about resilience and sometimes, at least I tend to associate resilience to getting up after something horrible has happened. But I think resilience um, can also be linked to cr critical thinking in the sense that it could be um, accepting the evolution of our own understanding of things. Like if you've had the rug taken from beneath you, something that you held very solidly, that you can you, you can realize that those glasses don't fit anymore and you can move on. You know, I can't help thinking of humor. The okay. role humor plays in that. Yes. You're you're talking about the rug being being yeah. taken away from you and I feel like okay I fell okay let's step up again and have a laugh about it because nothing really serious happened to me in it and move on and move on yeah with courage because this is connected to having such strong viewpoints and expressing them and, and expressing in a place for everybody to see right you're taking yourself way too seriously oh god yes right it's like it feels like a bit of too much entitlement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could say. Yeah, get off your high horse. Yeah. <laughs> Great way of, uh, of summarizing that. Okay, so let's go back to how this also is connected to a model of, of you, uh, a worldview where scientific knowledge plays such an important role. Yes. Like science is what it's bucking up everything that we believe is true right now. Yeah, but in a sense, I, I think people sort of forget what science is. When it's like they, a misinterpretation. It's a misinterpretation, isn't it? Because it's like, no, because science, but the very definition of science is that it changes because at any point, new information can be introduced and change what we know, right? Science is, as far as we know and have investigated, we can say that X is true. And exactly. Like a change. Yeah. This is again adaptability, right? Like they they all go hand in hand. All right. So to sum up this episode, can I have a, yes. a very brief note? I'll give you a minute for those of you who are parents. You can't miss Ada Twist, scientist. Ah, yeah. You talking about doubt and analyzing and interpreting. So, thank you, Barack and Michelle, for that. <laughs> okay. 
Um, no, I was going to say, to sum up this episode, I'm going to use a phrase that my partner, Marco, always throws at me. Every time I say something, you know, sort of passionate and confused about something, he always says, everything is true and nothing is true. <laughs> well, I want a t-shirt with that. <laughs> yeah, me too. He's a very wise man. Thank you, Marco, for everything. So... Shall we unpack the toolkit so we can learn how to serve a world full of certainties and not to fall for these false truth owners? I like the concept mm, of truth false. owners, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do it. So be socially diverse. Follow and hang Number out. One. Number one. Number one. Be socially diverse. Follow and hang out with different people, listen to new opinions to spark your curiosity, mm. encourage debate. Yes. Like when I was an English teacher, this was so fascinating, generating debate over things. Many of our tips from the episode of interculturalism work for this. I was Great thinking, episode there. Now that you said this encouraging debate, I remember when um, in my first job as a teacher, they told me, you can't talk about politics, you can't talk about controversial issues, right? Like it was a rule of thumb that you can bring those things in. And I think a lot of teachers have that sort of ingrained, like they don't want to touch those issues no. because they're afraid that people will get offended. And at Inc, for example, it's something that we really, really try to foster because it can It's so eye-opening when you talk to people who think very differently and you're, well, yeah, like you said, it's everything that we talked about in the multicultural. And it's what really motivates us to communicate with others, right? Yes. So yes. it's intrinsic motivation all along. It was yeah. one of my favorite parts of teaching, actually. So right. number two. Number two, be aware of your biases. We gave you the list. You can look it up and <laughs> find more examples. Take off those lenses that you mentioned today. Know that system one is operating there always, even if you think you know, or even if you know. System one is there. Another t-shirt. Where number three. Oh, today I'm forgetting the numbers. Number three. Wherever possible, find independent confirmation of the facts. In reference to news, be media literate, you know? Ask yourselves, who created this message? What methods were used to attract my attention? Could this be faked? Could this be biased because there are interests, hidden interests behind it? A bit of paranoid here, actually, right? It's in the right amount but you know there's a, a we need a recipe for it yeah this is very a cup of paranoia the, the, the intensity of this is very important but which lifestyles values and points of view are represented or missing or missing or missing or missing how might others interpret this hmm. number four don't get too attached to a hypothesis or an idea Kahneman said, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's full of ideas out there. Go, go full ahead. Of ideas. Go ahead. Go ahead and find another one. Don't get attached to one. Look for new ones. Get creative. And also try not to wrap your identity around some ideas because I think that that's where we start having some difficulties letting go. Matthias Reina, the CEO of Abstracta, always says, we always look for rational arguments to justify our irrational behaviors, mm. right? Because we do feel very passionate about some things. Mm. Things, some things fire us up because we are emotional beings after all, yeah, right? Yeah. So the belief bias. That. Exactly, <laughs> acknowledge that, but also remember, 
Carl Sagan said, there's always room for a new idea, right? And teamwork is fueled by this. Oh, in, definitely. In our episode on creativity, we give some useful tips also on how to integrate new ideas. How to integrate new ideas and, and how important this is because it the, the outcome is always so much more positive, right? Yeah. Yes. All right. Number five. Uh, number five, delay your intuition. Kahneman, again, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Hi, Danny. I really admire you. Um, he speaks about delayed intuition. And I thought it was a, a great concept. It's not that intuition or system one is wrong, mm -hmm. right? But gut feelings are often powered by biases. But it's also a very powerful tool that shouldn't be dismissed just as, uh, oh, it's an irrational emotion. Don't don't listen to the it. The key word there, dismiss. Mm. Don't dismiss yeah, it. We can't dismiss it. So the best combination is to delay your intuition, right? Read, research, analyze. And after you've done that, listen to your intuition. Yeah, or put it there in the combination, right? Uh, sleep on it, like we said. Yeah. <laughs> Number six very connected to what you were saying don't jump into conclusions at least don't tweet them immediately <laughs> listen more think before you speak and think before you tweet good number six good reminder yes number six question everything every now and then <laughs> ah thank you for clarifying it if it is impossible and frankly undesirable for anybody to be questioning everything all the time. Okay. So don't go saying, no, because I've heard in a podcast that I have to be questioning everything all the time. Don't blame it on us. We don't hear about the many friends Descartes had. <laughs> or, you know, as a therapist, I know there are moments when I need to shut up <laughs> because if not, I wouldn't. My life would be much lonelier. Now, <laughs> Can I just add a disclaimer here? Yeah. If it's every now and then because overthinking can drive us nuts. Okay. That's the technical term. Yeah, basically. <laughs> we, we said it at the beginning without losing your mind, right? <laughs> there is a time to think things through and there is a time to, pe to put your mind at ease, let's say. Mm. To mindfully do things and live your life. <laughs> Get out of your head. I love how we went right back to the beginning where critical thinking is just mainly being a pain in the ass. <laughs> well, it was a good summary. But, but okay, um, how do we do that? How do we stop the overthinking? You said today with courage, right? Yeah. Okay, moving past point, it. Yeah. Moving past it. This is the best you can do here and now. And let's go for it. Good. All right, so that's pretty much the deal with critical thinking, isn't it, Mer? Yeah. And remember, it's never too early to practice the art of questioning. Aha, uh -huh. or too late. If you haven't done it, you can be a late bloomer too. Yes. <laughs> so thank you again for gifting us your time. Remember to like and recommend our podcast and this episode if you enjoyed it. And if you think somebody else could enjoy it or could use it, um, we'll meet you again in our next episode. And in the meantime, don't forget to think. Bye! Are you following us on social media? Join our community. This is an ongoing conversation. We are the Everything Else Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you.